podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 6th of April, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or Peacock. If you're from the UK but operating outside the UK for whatever reason, you can access your Now TV. Brexit can't stop you anymore. It'll also keep your data safe online. So check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. That's homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, I hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you all ate as much chocolate as you possibly could after observing length, which I'm sure you all did. Uh, we had a full round of football at the weekend, full round of Premier League games, so we're going to rattle through them as quickly as possible. Apologies, the podcast is out late today, but Toby was in uh, getting his uh, his snip done today, so that's that's why I'm late. Um, the weekend started with the biggest surprise maybe of the season, West Brom going to Stamford Bridge and winning 5-2. Um, the game started quite well for Chelsea. Christian Pulisic put them... 1-0 up, uh, but then two minutes later, Thiago Silva got himself sent off by being stupid. There was absolutely no reason for him to lunge the way he did. He can claim he was trying to block. It It doesn't matter. He lunged at the player. It was absolutely a yellow card, the second yellow for him, and the correct decision. And after that, Chelsea capitulated in quite the embarrassing fashion. Mateus Pereira made it 1-1 on Forty-seven minutes, and then right before the halftime whistle went, he made a two-one. Pereira ran amok in this game. He absolutely destroyed Reese James, embarrassed him to a level you'll rarely see a fullback get embarrassed. And we'll talk more about that later. Callum Robinson made it three-one uh, on sixty-three. Dianya made it four-one on sixty-eight before Mason Mount pulled one back after good work and an assist from Timo Werner. Werner, by the way, so short of confidence. He's not the same player that we saw with Leipzig. He just isn't. He's being used poorly, and he is completely shot of confidence. Here's the stat for you. Liverpool, obviously everybody knows, had the deal done to sign Timo Werner, pulled out of it because of COVID, signed Diogo Jota. Diogo Jota scored more as a second-half substitute. Sorry, scored the same amount of goals as a second-half substitute against Arsenal as Werner has in his last 22 Premier League appearances. That is not the player that Chelsea thought they were buying. They didn't really know what they were buying. They've used him badly. I reckon Frank Lampard calling him Timo for six months probably didn't do his conference any good either. Um, Robinson made it five in, in stoppage time. 
a comprehensive win for West Brom. They played very, very well. They deserved their win on the day. Chelsea, though, masters of their own downfall. But I do just want to highlight Mateus Pereira. What a performance. They're going down. He's not. He's not going down unless he wants to stay there, unless he feels obliged to stay there or they price him out of a move. There are going to be clubs queuing up to get him. He is far too good to be playing in the championship. Leicester City looking for someone to play off the right-hand side and come in field. He'd be a great fit there. He can play right or left. He was left side in this game and he tortured Reese James. Absolutely tortured him. Created nine chances. Went past him at e- uh, uh, with ease. Just did whatever he wanted. Lovely passer of the ball. Great movement. Super intelligent player. Very, very good. I- I'd happily take him at Liverpool if Shakiri is going. I'd happily take him as a Shakiri replacement. I think he's a very good player. Um, this is obviously the first defeat under Thomas Tuchel. And it's quite an emphatic defeat. Tuchel came out after with ridiculous comments about how they won the XG and they had more possession, they had more shots. It's all nonsense, Thomas. You know it's nonsense. Your team were outplayed. You were allowed to have more of the ball because you were 3-1 and then 4-1 down. Um, This was the best performance by a West Brom team all season, without question. And it's just a shame that they haven't done this more frequently. Because the midfield and attacking talent they've had, including the guys they brought in in January, I thought Yakuzlu in midfield looked very, very good. He's another one, I think, that there'll be some Premier League interest in. Um, They have the midfield and attacking talent to stay up. Maitland-Niles in this game, very, very good as well. You can see why there's a number of clubs, including Liverpool and Wolves, interested in him. But it's the defence that's let them down. Again, this weekend, they were a little bit at sixes and sevens, but they got through it. Chelsea, just no excuse. No excuse for that performance. With that level of talent on the pitch, there's just no excuse. I know you had a man sent off. It really shouldn't matter. You started the weekend fourth. West Brom started the weekend 19th. They They had 18 points going into the game. You had over 50, nearly three times as much. Not acceptable for, for a Chelsea team with top four ambition. And they've now dropped out of the top four, which will be a big blow to them. Um, next up then, we had Leeds 2, Sheffield United 1. Rafinha, the star of the show in this game, as he generally is. Leeds did dominate the game. They did have a fair go at, at battering down. A very resilient Sheffield United team, it must be said. Um I thought the Blades played quite well in spells, defended better than they have for a lot of the season. Aaron Ramsdale showed some signs of growing into the Premier League, but poor for for the first goal, I thought, for Harrison's goal. I didn't think his positioning was good, but Rafinha was great for that goal. Ben Osborne pulled pulled it level just before the break, and then Phil Jagielka put through his own net early in the second half. Leeds will be very happy with 11th place. It's now back-to-back wins for them as well. They're level on points with Arsenal, just behind them on goal difference. And they will be eyeing up that top half finish. They've won more games this season than Arsenal. If they can just sort their defence for next season, keep the players they have, Rafinha, 
Phillips, Bamford, Harrison, add a couple more, sort out that defence. Leeds are going to be very, very difficult. Now, it's Bielsa, so there's always going to be ups and downs. The the way he, he has his team play, they're never going to go on a consistent run in the Premier League. They're not going to run off 10 or 12 wins in a row. They're always going to be a little bit too open for that, but they are going to be a top-half proposition next season if they continue to recruit the way they have. Um, for the Blades, I mean, they're done. They're gone. It's They're now 15 points from Newcastle uh, with, only nine, or sorry, with only eight games left. So they're not staying up. They're likely not catching West Brom, who are now seven points ahead of them in 19. So they are going to go down bottom. It's just a matter about putting some respectability on the board. Um, they have Arsenal at home, Wolves away, Brighton at home, Spurs away, Palace at home, Everton away, Newcastle away, and then Burnley at home. That's their eight-game run. There are a couple of games in there they can pick up some points. Arsenal are shaky. Wolves are out of form. Brighton, you, you never really know what you're going to get. Palace at home, Burnley at home, even Newcastle away. I mean, these and, and with the way Everton have played against poor teams at home, you never know. So there are points there that they can pick up, but it is going to be futile. They are going down. It's a shame, but it is what it is. There's nothing can be done about it now, I'm afraid. Um, for Leeds, they'll finish up with Matt. They've got a tough run coming. Man City away, Liverpool at home. Manchester United at home, Brighton away, Spurs at home, Burnley away, Southampton away, West, excuse me, West Brom at home. It is a difficult run. The next three in particular are very, very tough, and at Brighton is going to be difficult for them. Hopefully, they're over their, you know, their southern shakes that they had um, when they beat Fulham away, having lost every other time they'd gone towards the south of the country this year. But, you know, they've got Brighton and Southampton left. They're games they can win. They're, they're two teams they are better than. If they turn up on the day and play well, they can absolutely win those games. They can beat West Brom at home. And they can beat Burnley away. So there are a bunch of winnable games there, but it is a difficult run in. Spurs at home, I think, is another one they'll fancy, given the form of Spurs. But, um, no, look, Leeds can be delighted with their season. As I said, Rafinha is the star of the show there. What a player. What a player. £17 million. When you hear people talk about, you know, like Jack Grealish, £100 million, Declan Rice, £100 million, and you can find gems like him in France for £17 million. I don't know why any club would want to buy in England. Why they would want to buy an English player. Like Jaden Sancho's going to cost £100 million or 80 to £100 million this summer. And I love Jaden Sancho. I think he's a phenomenal player. But nobody's going to convince me he's better than Rafinha. No, not now. Long term, probably, he's, you know, Sancho is 20. So he's really only a baby. He's really only starting out. But Rafinha's only 24. So it's not like there's a massive age gap between them. Rafinha's going to get better for the next couple of seasons. I think Sancho, at the end of their careers, we look back and say, Sancho's best was better than Rafinha's best. But not by not by sixty million worth. It is it's crazy the price that gets put on English players. You'd swear England had a good national team. And we'll have more of that later. Um 
Third game of the weekend, Manchester City 2, Leicester 0 at the King Power. City were very, very dominant. Uh, other than one great Ruben Diaz block, I can't think of much that City's defence had to cope with. Whereas the Leicester defence was was tested throughout. Um, De Bruyne hit the crossbar early. Jesus had an early chance. Oh, sorry, yeah, Sterling had it. No, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus had the early chance. Um, Mares had a couple of good chances. City went one up in the 58th minute with Benjamin Mendy cutting in field and passing one into the bottom corner on his weaker right foot before Gabby Jesus made a 2-0 from a Raheem Sterling assist. It was very comfortable for City. It's the type of performance we've come to expect from them in this run where they've just made it look... Again, they've made it look like they play a different sport to everybody else. Like, Leicester are third. This wasn't a bad team they were playing. This was the team that sits third in the league. And the gulf between them on the day was enormous. Absolutely enormous. But City are going to win the league by, you know, 10 points or more. They're currently 14 clear. United do have a game in hand. But it's not going to be the game in hand. It's not going to make any difference. They're they're going to win the league by 10 plus points. Um, Leicester's running is difficult. They've got West Ham away next. West Ham are in, you know, have been in good form all season and currently sit fourth. Then it's Southampton in the FA Cup semi-finals, a game they should win. Then West Brom at home, then Crystal Palace at home, then Southampton uh, away. So there are three games that they will expect to win. Then they get Newcastle at home. Now, Newcastle are going to be scrapping against relegation. And then they finish up with Manchester City away, Chelsea away, and Tottenham at home on the final day. And Tottenham may well be playing for a place in Europe. Now, if they if they win the, the League Cup, they'll obviously get a place through that. If they don't, it goes back into the league, the league table. So they may well be scrapping for a place in Europe. So that won't be an easy game. Those last four are going to be difficult. Uh, it doesn't really matter who City play, but for the purpose of making you aware, they play Dortmund next in the Champions League. Uh, that's today. Um, they play Leeds at home on Saturday, then Dortmund away in the second leg. Then they've got Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final. Then Villa away. Then Tottenham in the EFL Cup final. Palace away. Chelsea at home. Newcastle away. Brighton away and then Everton at home their league run is very favorable to them anyway so even if it had been a tight title race their eight sorry seven games remaining are favorable Villa away won't be easy Chelsea at home won't be easy Leeds won't make it easy on them but the rest you'd expect to you know, have more than enough to beat Palace, Newcastle, and Brighton. Um, so they are going to win the league very, very comfortably. Um, that game against Dortmund tonight should be a lot of fun. Unfortunately, Sancho was ruled out, but Erling Haaland against that City defence will be an interesting test for them. Uh, interesting to note that Johnny uh, John Stones was once again left out of the team, and Pep stuck with Diaz. And- and to keep stones for tonight. But I, I do think that Diaz-Laporte pairing is the, is the better pairing. It's definitely the two best individuals they have. 
Stones has had a good season, there's no question. But he's not on the level of the other two. The other two are legitimately top-class defenders. America Laporte, prior to this season, undoubtedly one of the three best centre-backs in the league. Ruben Diaz has immediately made himself, you know, top five in the league. When you've got two of the five best centre-backs in the league, that should be your pairing, especially when one is a right-footed right centre-back and the other is a left-footed left centre-back. They just go together. Their games should mesh well together as well. Uh, I think if they get a run together, I really do think that pairing can be exceptional for City for a number of years to come, especially when you sit Rodri in front. They've got Edison behind them. So Ederson behind them. So they've got, you know, that little diamond boxed off for four, five years, potentially. It's it's not a bad situation to be in, considering the attacking talent as well. Keep getting those fullbacks sorted out and they will be in good stead. Um, then we got Liverpool against Arsenal. Now, the story is Liverpool won 3-0. Diogo Jota came off the bench and scored two. Mo Salah scored the other. Liverpool played very, very well. Dominated the game. Probably the best they've played in, in months. I would suggest it's the best they've played since probably Palace away. They looked really good. They looked really confident. Ozan Kabak looked very good and composed at the back. Nat Phillips was strong and aggressive beside him. Trent Alexander-Arnold was brilliant. Uh, Fabinho was the best player on the pitch by a country mile. Thiago was excellent. Mane still not quite Mane. Firmino looked a little bit brighter. Jota looked incredible when he came on. Uh, he looked absolutely unbelievable when he came on. Um, but the story here, there's two, there's two things. Number one is, is Arsenal. For an Arsenal team to play at home in that manner was embarrassing. And I think Mikel Arteta is a very lucky boy that there's no fans in the stands. Because if there was, and this is not the first time, this is this is his go-to when they play a big team, is to park the bus. And having parked the bus for the entirety of the first half, his first substitution, sorry, his, his first substitution was enforced. Kieran Tierney went off with what looks like an ACL injury. The second substitution, the first one he chose to make, was to take off Danny Ceballos, who's a ball-playing midfielder, and bring on Mohamed Elneny, who is a fine player, but he's a very defensive, ball-winning midfielder. So you've already parked the bus. You're getting comfortably outplayed. And the decision that you've made is to bring on another defensive player. Now, if they were top or fourth, and a point was what they needed just to keep them where they are. They were just looking to get through this game and get on to easier games. I'd understand it a bit more. But they're 10th. They were 9th on the day. They're 10th now. They're mid-table. They're still in with an outside shot of European positions, or they were, before this game. They were only four points behind Liverpool. A win would have put them one point behind Liverpool. 
one point behind Spurs. And they parked the bus and tried to play it for a draw in ninth. So you're basically accepting mid-table mediocrity for the season. And I've heard people make, make excuses for Arteta and on and on. And it, it, they just don't wash with me anymore. I was really hopeful for him. I genuinely was. I really thought he's going to come in. He looks like he has a real plan. Last season, he looked like he had a plan. Last season, it looked like he was putting a defensive structure in place that he would then build on this season. And he hasn't built anything. They've regressed drastically. Through his first 50 games, they've done worse than they did in the last 50 games under Unai Emery. And the problem for Arsenal is that if you take the last, if you just take, say, their last 250 games in 50-game slots, they've gotten worse pretty much every single 50. They've gotten worse continually for for years now. The rot is deep at Arsenal. And unfortunately, the job just seems too big for Arteta. It's one of the three biggest jobs in the league. And you can have City and Chelsea and Spurs, fine. Big jobs, big clubs, no question there. But historically, Arsenal is one of the three biggest jobs in the country, along with Liverpool and Manchester United. And it's too big for a rookie manager with no experience. It's too big for Edu as a director of football with minimal experience in that role and a very skewed view on how to do the job and how to recruit players. The fact that Arsenal made a massive amount of their recruitment staff redundant last summer was a shambles because they're now relying on on, on Edu and his small network of scouts and small network of agents that he works with to recruit players. And it's how they ended up with William on 200 grand a week. I don't understand the William deal. I didn't at the time. I don't now. It makes less sense now because he is finished. He is washed. He's not a Premier League player anymore. Aubameyang, they gave the big contract to. Bad decision. He's been fairly dreadful all season. Barely got a kick at the ball at the weekend. There's loads of really good talent there. And me and Guy went through this on Friday. If Bielsa had that squad and played his 4-1-4-1, the players are there. The players are there. Leno's not a great goalkeeper, but he's he's good enough to get you top six. You don't have a great situation right back, but Ainsley, Maitland, Niles could have done more than a good enough job there for a year with Bellerin as his backup. Kieran Tierney's one of the better left backs in the league. Gabriel's a very good centre back with a lot of promise. William Saliba is one of the more talented young centre backs in Europe. Now, we've all seen how Wesley Fafana has done in the Premier League this year. Most people who watched him and Saliba play for Sandetian came away saying Saliba's the better of the two. He's the more ready of the two. Fafana's the bigger project. He's a bit more long-term. 
and Saliba's binned off on loan, as is Maitland-Niles. Gabrielle's in and out of the team. In that sitting role that Calvin Phillips plays, Thomas Partey would be perfect. String the four across. He plays Rafinha on the right. Okay, you've got you've got Saka. He plays Harrison on the left. You've got Nicholas Pepe, who you paid seventy-three million pound for, seventy-two million pound for. You can swap them if you want. Pepe can play right, Saka left. In the central zones, you've got Emil Smith Rowe. You've got Martin Odegaard on loan. You've got Joe Willock. You own Gwendouzi if you want a different type of look. You own Torreira if you want a different type of look. Oh, both of them are out on loan while Granit Xhaka plays and Danny Ceballos plays and El Nenny plays. But those two superior midfield players are on loan and Joe Willock is doing well at Newcastle. Nobody's going to convince me that you're better off with Ceballos, El Nenny and Xhaka than you will be with Gwendozi, Torreira and Willock. Nobody will convince me that Arsenal are better off with that as nobody will convince me that they're better off with Cedric than they would be with Maitland-Niles, that they're better off with Rob Holding and David Louise than they would be with William Saliba. Saliba would make the same amount of mistakes as David Louise, but he would learn from them and improve. Louise is making the same mistakes since he first came to the Premier League 10 years ago. He's never going to improve. He's never going to learn. And he's only going to get worse as he ages. And then up front, he plays a lone striker. You have the options of Lacazette, Aubameyang, Enketia, Balogun, Martinelli. There's just, for Arsenal to play the way they have and put out the turgid teams that they have and play this horrendous style of football is completely unacceptable. The players they have available are more than good enough to finish top six. More than good enough. A couple of additions here and there, you could challenge for top four. There isn't a massive need for a huge overhaul at Arsenal. There really isn't. Even to play his 4-2-3-1, they need a right-back, a right-centre-back, a goalkeeper, one in midfield, and then figure out what's going on up front. So maybe five, but Saliba sorts the right-centre-back position. Maitland-Niles can sort that right-back position. Torreira or Guendouzi could sort that centre-midfield position. You need a goalkeeper and a centre back and a, and a centre forward. You could sell. You could have sold Aubameyang. You're not going to now. Nobody's going to touch him. None of that contract. And you're going to lose your backside on on Lacazette. But you can sell him too. You'll still get some money for him. It's completely unacceptable for Arsenal to be ninth and playing that badly in that style. It's just ridiculous. I don't know how they can justify keeping Arteta into next season. 
David Moyes took over West Ham about the same time Arteta took over at Arsenal. Spent significantly less money. They were 17th when he took over. They're 4th. They're playing much better football. And they don't have a fraction of the talent that Arsenal have. They went from 17th to 4th. Arsenal have gone backwards. If you're an Arsenal fan, you can't be happy with this. You really just cannot be happy with this. And I get that he's one of your own. I get that he played there. I get that there's the Pep connection and everybody's hoping he's going to be Pep. But it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't work like that. Just because he worked under Pep doesn't mean he's going to be Pep. It means he knows has to put Pep's ideas into play. It doesn't mean he has any of his own. We all read the stories about post-it notes everywhere and all the rest. Great. Go and show me in the championship. Go and show me in the Secunda division. Or the second Bundesliga. Don't show me in the Premier League and definitely don't show me at Arsenal. I think Arteta has to go. I don't think he can survive till next season. I think he might because of the lack of interest that Arsenal's owners show in the club. But I don't think a serious club sits down and goes, yeah, no, no, we're, we're, we're delighted with what we have for manager. No, ninth is where we want to be. I just don't see how you can be happy with that. The other story that came out of this game was Trent Alexander-Arnold, who put in a brilliant performance. And Jamie Redknapp, during the the broadcast, uh, lauded Garrett Southgate and seemed to say that it was Garrett Southgate's dropping of Trent from the England squad that inspired this performance it's the biggest pile of nonsense I'd heard in, in quite a while. Garrett Southgate is a terrible manager. Just look at his record at Middlesbrough. He's awful. He's completely unqualified to manage the England squad. And Trent has been world-class or borderline for the previous two seasons. He's had a poor year this year because he had COVID and then got injured. And because all the centre-packs at the club got hurt. And because he's 22 and he's young and young players are inconsistent, they have bad runs. But he's been really good for the last couple of months. He's been one of the few Liverpool players that has improved over the last few months. This performance had nothing to do with Garrett Southgate at all. It had just to do with Trent being Trent and doing Trent things. This is what he does. This is what we've watched him do for a couple of years now. This is a man who, in his first season as first choice, played in the Champions League final and put Cristiano Ronaldo in his pocket to such an extent that Ronaldo scuttled across to the other wing. This is a man who, in his second season, won the Champions League and broke records for assists. And this is a man who, in his third season, won a Premier League title. 
He doesn't need Gareth Southgate to motivate him. He doesn't need Gareth Southgate to do anything other than shut up and put him in the squad. And this led to Neville and Carragher having a debate. I think that's what you could call it. Um, there wasn't really a well-considered thought between them. They they debated the Trent issue, and then they talked about the Ringland squad. So to start with the Trent thing, Neville went on a four-minute monologue about how Trent is basically a defensive liability. and said that you would be more confident if you had Reese James, Kyle Walker, or Kieran Trippier defensively against the and he named Mbappe, he named Cristiano, he named Jota, he named someone else, but I can't remember. Trent put Cristiano in his pocket in the Champions League final. He has played against Mbappe before and he trains with Jota every day and knows all about him. He made out that teams pick on Trent. They target Trent when they play Liverpool. And he said, if you look at the left side with Andy Robertson, he's got Van Dijk. And Trent doesn't have that. And then tried to put that down to Trent. He had already answered his own question as to why Liverpool are attacked more down their right than down their left. Because Van Dijk plays on the left. That's why. If you look up and you've got Van Dijk on one side and anybody else on the other side, you're going to the other side. Now, Trent in his career at Liverpool, forgetting this season, which has been a mess, he played with Lovren, who is... About as bad a centre-back as has ever played for a top-four team on a regular basis. Joel Matip, who plays about 10 games a season in the league, is always injured. And Joe Gomez, who despite being older than Trent, is less experienced than Trent. Trent has played about 50 games more than Joe Gomez in their respective careers, uh, despite being younger and getting started later because of Gomez's injuries. So he's the more experienced player when they play side by side. Of course, they're going to get attacked more because they're the inexperienced duo. Robertson's 26, 27. Van Dijk is 29. They're 22 and 23. You're always going to pick on the younger ones. That's just how life is. It's how the world works in all all walks. It's how animals work. (laughs) A lion doesn't attack the oldest zebra he attacks the youngest one because it's the weakest it's the weak link that's why Trent gets attacked more it has nothing to do with him not being a good defender Trent isn't a good defender but he's not a bad defender he's just an average defender he's neither a positive nor a negative in that role however let's look at the other options Kyle Walker is all about pace. He's a poor positional defender whose pace allows him to make up for the mistakes he makes. Reese James is a bad defender. Flat out bad defender. Not his fault. He's inexperienced. But he's a bad defender. And Matthias Pereira exposed that at the weekend. James looks like he should be a good defender because he's strong, he's muscular, he's athletic, he's fast. 
But positionally, he's dreadful. He reads the game about as badly as it's possible to do, and he lunges into tackles when he shouldn't. And Kieran Trippier is by far the worst defensive fullback England have at their disposal. Rio Ferdinand chimed in on his bizarre podcast he does with those two weirdos and said that Aaron Wan-Bissaka is the best 1v1 defender in the world. Virgil van Dijk's the best 1v1 defender in the world. Why he never gets dribbled past. Marquinhos is a better 1v1 defender. Carvial is a better 1v1 defender. Joshua Kimmich is a better 1v1 defender. Wan-Bissaka is very good 1v1. But the rest of his defensive game is awful. Positionally, doesn't read the game well, doesn't track runners, doesn't sweep the centre-backs, defends the back post poorly on crosses, as we saw at the weekend. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is not a good defender. He's a desperation defender. You see him make all the tackles because he's made a mistake in the first place. He's been out of position. He's an incredible athlete. He's not a good defender. If you try to run him, it's going to be very hard because he's very quick and he's strong. If you sell him and go the other way, he's, he's quite easily beat. He gets beaten fairly regularly. So this idea that England have better options defensively isn't true. And none of them are a patch on Trent going forward. Trippier's good going forward. James has potential going forward. Walker's never been particularly good going forward. He's just been quick. Wan-Bissaka is an abomination going forward. If you want... James Justin is the best defensive fullback England have. He won't be in the squad because he's torn an ACL. He probably wouldn't be in the squad anyway. Tariq Lamptey and Max Ahrens would be the best after Trent from an attacking point of view in terms of dribbling, crossing. Trippier's a great crosser and really good set pieces, but doesn't carry the ball particularly well. Trent is by far the best fullback England have, and it goes further than that. Trent is flat out one of England's three best players. Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, and Trent. They're England's three best players. Name me somebody better. None of the centre-backs are better. None of the left-backs are better. None of the centre-midfielders are better. And none of the other attackers are as proven or as consistent as Trent. Sancho's super talented. He might not make the squad either. Grealish is inconsistent. Foden hasn't proven it for long enough. He's he's going to be sensational. But this is the first real season of him being a regular starter for City. Madison's inconsistent. Barnes is inconsistent. They're not at Trent's level. Trent Alexander-Arnold is the third best player England have at their disposal. If he's not in the England squad, it's a farce. Now, like I said, Carragher and Neville picked their squads. Neville, after his big diatribe as to why 
he believed Garrett Southgate might not pick him, went on to suggest that he would pick him. He said he trusted Southgate implicitly, which is a nonsense. He trusts him because he's his mate. They played together for England for a bunch of years. They're friends. They worked under Hodgson together. That's why he trusts him. He won't say a bad word against him because he's his mate. The same reason he won't criticize Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. So Neville picked three goalkeepers. Pickford, who's been dreadful all season. Pope and Henderson. Henderson's just getting into the United team now as first choice. Whether that's a short-term measure or long-term measure, I don't know. He picked Kyle Walker. Fair enough. Can play in a three or as a as a fullback. He picked Trent. He picked Ben Chilwell, who's not even first choice for Chelsea. Luke Shaw, I don't have a problem with. And then his centre-backs. John Stones, he's having a good season after multiple bad seasons, but whatever. Harry Maguire, okay. Tyron Mings, who's awful. And Eric Dyer, who's who's been... Truly dreadful this season. Like, properly awful. Isn't good anyway, but he's been awful this season. In midfield, he went for Declan Rice, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips, Phil Foden, and James Ward-Prowse. And I don't really have a big gripe with any of those, except that Jude Bellingham should be in over... James Ward-Prowse. Now, Ward-Prowse having a very good season. But there's no real place for him in the England squad. There just isn't. Because they're going to play two, two central midfielders. It'll be Rice and Henderson. Excuse me, Rice and Henderson. Phillips will be the third. Mount will be the fourth. You're bringing five central midfielders? Doesn't really make sense in a 23-man squad. If it was 25 men, fair enough. But it's not. It's 23. Um... And then his attackers, Harry Kane, Sterling, Calvert-Lewin, Grealish, Rashford, and Mason Greenwood. Now, I think Mason Greenwood is mega talented. I think he's going to be an absolute star. But nobody can deny he's had a very disappointing season. He set the bar too high for himself. He had a great season last year. And his finishing numbers were ridiculous. And he's obviously had a massive drop-off from there. But he doesn't deserve to be in the England squad. You can't argue that Trent is being left out based on form and then pick Mings, Dyer, Chilwell and Greenwood and Pickford, all of whom have been between poor and dreadful this season. You just can't. So Neville's squad is a nonsense. Mings over Konza is bananas. Uh, Dyer over, over Dunk is ridiculous. Ward-Prowse over Bellingham, I don't have a, a big gripe with, but I do think Bellingham is more deserving. And then Greenwood over Sancho is is just stupid. It's just, it is just stupid. Um, Carragher then. Carragher, Carragher went for the same three goalkeepers. His defenders, uh, Kyle Walker, Trent, Chilwell, Shaw, Stones, Maguire, Mings, Reese James, so he picked three three right backs, three right backs, and uh, and Connor Cody. 
who's one of the worst centre-backs in the league. Uh, uh, in midfield, he went with Rice, Henderson, Mount, Phillips, Foden and Bellingham. And then he went with Kane, Sterling, Calvert-Lewin, Grealish and Rashford. So he, he picked he picked nine defenders, five mid, sorry, six midfielders and five attackers. Then he came out with the statement that he wanted them to dominate the football. He picked three right-backs among nine defenders. Jordan Henderson and Declan Rice. They're going to be, they're his starting midfielders. And he thinks they're going to dominate the football. And then he tried to make the argument that they got to the World Cup semi-final, which they did. But let's not forget what happened at that World Cup. Every time they played a good team, they got comprehensively outplayed. They didn't beat a good team in the entire tournament. The best team they got through was Colombia, who they beat on penalties. Both squads are ridiculous. No Sancho. Both, like, Carragher, to his credit, was adamant Trent had to be in. Neville tried to give excuses to why he shouldn't be. But Carragher picking Cody is, I mean, the bias is ridiculous. I mean, Cody and Mings are not anywhere close to good enough to play for England. They're just not. I don't care how much you like them. They're just not. They're not even good enough to play for their current clubs. They're the weakest link in both of their current clubs. By a mile in Cody's case. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of England's three best players. He should be one of the three first names in the team sheet. And if you have concerns about him defensively, construct your team to cover for it. Pick Ezri Konza to play inside him as the right side centre-back in either a back four or a back three with wing-backs where Trent is the wing-back and Konza plays and covers the cross. Konza's used to playing like that when attacking right back at Villa in Matty Cash. Konza will also help cover for Harry Maguire's complete lack of pace. I'm surprised both picked Grealish, because I will I would bet that Grealish won't be in the squad, because I think Jesse Lingard will. Lingard is obviously in great form. For West Ham at the minute, was tremendous yesterday against uh, against Wolves, but he's played eight games. He was terrible for two years. Eight games doesn't change that, and he's also not a fraction of the player that Grealish or Sancho are. Now, Neville said that Lingard could go back to United. He said that um, he's a good player who can have a great career. I would agree he's a good player. He's a good mid-table player. He's 28 years of age. If he was going to have a great career, he'd already be having it. He has been around a long time. He made his debut in 2011. He's 10 years into his professional career. The only season you could say that was better than decent was 17-18. Aside from that, he's been decent or below and often poor. He's not going to have a great career. He's just going to have a good career. And credit to him. And it's great to see him back playing football. It's great to see him playing well. But 
the idea that he should be in the England squad is especially ahead of Sancho. Grealish, I can make my peace with. I think Grealish is is hugely overrated. He's a, he's a very talented player, but there's there's very little evidence that he assists your team to win a lot of football games. Um, Villa's collapse to mid table happened before he got injured. He was in the team for it, and they won yesterday without him. Um, moving on into Sunday, then. Southampton fought back from 2-0 down to beat Burnley 3-2. Danny Ings, the star of the show there, a goal and assist and involved in the third goal. Burnley will be very, very disappointed having gone 2-0 up that they threw that one away. Uh, Newcastle fought back. Having gone 1-0 up, they went 2-1 down against Spurs. Some calamitous defending uh, at both ends of the field. But Joe Willock rescued the point for the tune late on. Villa beat Fulham 3-1. Uh, Fulham went 1-0 up, Tyron Mings doing Tyron Mings things and putting Mitrovic through, but Fulham just capitulated. And three goals in nine minutes for Villa wrapped up the three points. A good win for them. Konza once again bailing them out multiple times at the back. Morgan Sanson I'd be starting to get a little bit concerned about. He just seems to be struggling a little bit with the pace of English football. Now, it may just be that he just needs a pre-season. And he'll be fine. But he just looked a little bit out of his depth. And he's a good player. But he looked a little bit out of his depth there. Um, not really sure what Scott Parker's doing, being honest. Um, very, very disappointing. Why Zambo sat on the bench for the whole game? And he's been sitting on the bench quite a lot recently, despite being the best player at the club and easily their player of the season. Um, really, really not sure. We'll give credit actually to, is it Bobby Madley? Is he the right, which referee? It's one of the Madley brothers refereeing the game. I can't remember which one. Gave a penalty against Lamina. Went, looked at it, overturned it without a fuss. Fair play to him. Good to see VAR working properly in that regard. It did not work properly in the next game, which was Manchester United 2, Brighton 1. Brighton went 1-0 up with a Danny Welbeck goal in the 13th minute. United were appalling in the first half. Paul Pogba might as well have stayed at home. Um, United fought back. Rashford made it 1-1 after really good work from Bruno Fernandes. And Greenwood made it 2-1. A mishit Paul Pogba volley bounced to him and he headed home. Keeper probably should have done a little bit better. Um, United fans took to social media to once again proclaim Paul Pogba as the best midfield player in the world after a 5 out of 10 performance where he gave the ball away, leading to the Brighton goal, and then mishit a volley that was definitely a shot uh, for Rashford to score and then had himself a bit of a dance. I, I don't understand it. I also don't understand why um, Brighton continue to line up with 10 men playing an empty shirt in the centre midfield. If Yves Basima decides to leave this summer, it's because he's had to play on his own in midfield all year. Everton won, Crystal Palace won. Once again, Everton throwing away uh, a lead and losing points to a, a fairly poor team on their home ground. They missed a couple of great chances. Calvert-Lewin went through one-on-one. Richarlison had a great chance. Um, they did have a little bit of luck. Ebrici Ezzi could have done a little bit better early on with a good chance. But Everton were the better team. Went 1-0 up with James Rodriguez. Uh, rifling home at the near post after Seamus Coleman set him up 
but Mitchie Batshuayi in the 86th minute exposed the weakness in the Everton defence and uh, wrong-footed Robin Olsen to bury the ball into the far corner. Disappointing for Everton, and once again we've had uh, some Evertonians calling for Carlo to go, which is, you know, it's a unique approach that Everton fans take when they get something good. They immediately want to banish it away because it's maybe not good enough. Um, Carlo is not the problem at Everton. He is not the problem at all. He just hasn't had enough time yet. He's only been there. What are we? A year and a half? Is he 18 months? He is. He's about 18 months into the job. Um, It could be worse. You could be Arsenal. Carlos is one of the greatest managers that's ever lived. Shut up and enjoy him. Like... (laughs) I'm sorry, shut up. You do not have any right to have a better manager than him. You're not going to get a better manager than him. Look at the managers you had before him. Silva was a disaster. Big Sam, awful. Martinez, awful. Koeman, awful. I don't know what Everton fans want. Carlo Ancelotti is the best thing that happened to your club in probably 25 years. So shut up and enjoy him. Uh, And then finally... Wolves 2, West Ham 3. West Ham went 3-0 up. The Jesse Lingard show in the first half. Uh, scores the first, picks the ball up in his own half. Runs about 50 yards before shooting. Nobody tried to tackle him. Only one player tried to stand him up. That was Roman Sice, who was backpedaling and wrong-footed. Uh, nobody put in a challenge. Connor Cody was sold a pup and uh, followed a run that was never going anywhere. Bafflingly poor defending from um, from Wolves. The second goal, Lingard chases the ball into the corner. Nice turn. He will he will claim that the the flick was to Masawaka. I think he overhit the flick to himself. Uh, Masawaka rolls it to Fernals. Fernals makes it two, and then Lingard runs through the middle of four players. Not one of them makes an attempt to challenge. Not one of them. He slips it to Jared Bowen, and Bowen goes on and makes it 3-0. Some question marks maybe over Rui Patricio on the second and third goals. Uh, Pedro Neto should have made a a 3-1 just before half-time. William Jose's header was saved, and it fell to him about five yards out with nobody to beat. Goalkeeper flat on the floor, and he skewed it wide. Uh, Wolves fought back in the second half and did score twice as West Ham looked to, uh, to throw away Back-to-back 3-0 leads. Uh, Dan Donker, and uh, Dan Donker's goal actually was, was first half, just before the break. Um, Adama Traore dribbled down the left. Really good run, like a proper Adama Traore run. Bet to, beat two or three people. Good left-footed cross. Dan Donker running on to it. Powerful header into the bottom corner. Really, really good goal. Fabio Silva with a lovely goal on 68. A proper centre-forwards goal. Kind of peeled out, picked the ball up, touch out of the feet. And a lovely finish across the, the goal into the far corner. Really, really good goal. And I just, I, I thought West Ham at this point were were ready to be put away. Ready to give up that third goal. And Wolves just didn't even really try. They took off. William Jose um, and Pedence brought on. Uh, Vitania and Silva before that. So when they go 3-2, 
you're looking at the bench, you're thinking, right, Morgan gives White another option going forward. Maybe you take off a fullback or you take off Cody. You slot then Donker into defence, put Gibbs White into midfield. He give you a bit more thrust from midfield. Neves can kind of hold the fort. West Ham weren't offering much. And he he swapped fullbacks. He brought Hoiver on for Aiton Uri. Made no sense. Absolutely dreadful. Could have, You could have put Neto at left back if you wanted to take off Aiton Uri. You could have put Neto at left back and, and just gone all out. The decision to play a back four was bizarre. They're they're dreadful with a back four. They're not great with a back three either, uh, but they're dreadful with a back four. Connor Cody is, is absolutely exposed in a four. Uh, looks very much like a championship player. Um, Roman Sice isn't naturally a centre-back anyway, but he's fine in a three, but he does struggle a bit in a four. Probably better as a left-back in a four than a centre-back. Um, their defence is what's, what's cost them here. They This was a game they could have won. Um, for West Ham, though, another great win, another important win for them. They move into fourth in the league. No Declan Rice, and there are now reports that he may miss the rest of the season with a knee ligament injury, which isn't great. And with them pushing for top four would be a huge blow for them. Now, West Ham's running. They've got Leicester next. That's a tough one. Then they've got Newcastle away, Chelsea at home, Burnley away, Everton at home, Brighton away, West Brom away, Southampton at home. It's not the toughest running, but without Rice... Antonio had to go off in this game as well. At 2-0 up, maybe it's a different game if he's if he doesn't have to go off. Or sorry, if, if he's if he's not playing. I, I I think West Ham, it's gonna be difficult for them now. Look, they've done incredibly well. Nobody can nobody can doubt them. Moyes is the manager of the year. It's not even up for debate. Don't want to hear anybody else's name. David Moyes, the manager of the year. Um but this was um, this was a good weekend of football with some really comic, a comically bad defending. One thing I did miss in the United uh, Brighton game that I forgot to mention: uh, Harry Maguire once again getting away with a blatant foul on Danny Welbeck. It should have been a penalty. That was at one all, if memory serves. Uh, it should have been a penalty, and Brighton uh, once again against United robbed by a very very disappointing VAR performance. Uh, also, in the Spurs game, because uh, I'm on cheat watch with Harry Kane, um, he did that thing where he backs in, except he did it to the goalkeeper. It was a Spurs corner. He ran in, made no attempt to get the ball, jumped backwards with his arse out into the goalkeeper. That was the one where uh, one of the Newcastle players cleared it off the line. There was an attempt on goal, and one of the Newcastle players headed it off the line. Look about three seconds before the Newcastle player clears it off the line and watch Harry Kane throw his backside into Dubravka with no attempt to play the ball. Um, Once again, England's dirtiest player. And that's it. That is the 10 games. Uh, We do have football tonight, which is exciting. There's Champions League games. Um, Like I said earlier, Manchester City take on Dortmund, but also Liverpool taking on Real Madrid. Good news for Liverpool today as Rafa Varane has been ruled out with uh, COVID. Hopefully he recovers quickly. Obviously we don't want to see anyone ill or injured, but it's as a Liverpool fan, it is good news because he is their best defender. 
Uh, there was some bad news the other day when Sergio Ramos was ruled out. That kind of strengthens them, but it is what it is. Uh, no Eden Hazard in the squad either. So I have a feeling Liverpool might go with a front four and look to look to tear them apart. Tomorrow night then will be Bayern versus PSG, Bayern without Lewandowski, and Porto versus Chelsea. So good games both nights. Tonight's definitely the one, though. Um, that's it. That's where we leave it for today. Um, Again, apologies for the lateness. Back to normal tomorrow, 4 p.m. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the games, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.